This is a series, a series for financial advisors. We offer easy to implement marketing and practice management advice. This is The Stephen and Kevin Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 109 of The Stephen and Kevin Show. Today, we have a fun episode planned for you. We're going to be walking through our latest research on affluent investors. Ooh, Stephen, you showed it at the exact same time. That wasn't even planned. Um, We're going to go through it. It has a lot of great takeaways on how the affluent view, working with a financial professional, what marketing works and whatnot. We're going to walk you through it. This is one of those episodes that if you have a copy of this, you should get it and kind of follow along with us. We have done research over the years on affluent investors, and those are typically those with between 500,000 and 10 million investable to keep us on the pulse of what's working in the financial services space. We want to know from them things like how they go about selecting financial advisors, what factors into their loyalty, what digital marketing trends are emerging, and this research helps us keep our ear to the ground in that regard. Now, when it comes to staying ahead of the curve as a thought leader, leveling up can be as simple as taking advantage of learning opportunities from forward-thinking financial companies. Absolutely, Kevin. And speaking of opportunities, mark your calendars for November 2nd. Our new sponsor, Allianz Investment Management LLC, is hosting a virtual investor summit. You'll gain insights from thought leaders on innovative risk management strategies like buffered ETFs. And thought leadership aimed at addressing market volatility is always a win in our book. Um, And you know what's even better? That the virtual summit is completely free. That's right. Won't cost you a dime. So head over to oxley.com slash A-Z-L to get all the details and to secure your spot. All right. So let's get into today's topic. Again, we're going to be going through some of our, our latest research on affluent investors. If you want to snag a copy of this, go to oxley.com slash research, right? Mm-hmm. You can grab a copy of it uh, pretty quickly. And you know, this is one that I, th- I think you should get a copy and follow along. It'd be a really fun team exercise as well. Um, hey, listen to the podcast, follow along with the research. It seems like that would go really hand I like hand. it, Kevin. It'd be a great team meeting. And the focus of this one is on marketing trends. The title of it is Five Marketing Trends for Financial Advisors. Now, if you know Oxley, I think the, the number one thing we're known for is our marketing advice. We've for a long time been the industry leader in offering insights on what it takes to bring in elite levels of clients, uh, larger clients, more clients. And uh, I'd also like, like to drop a plug, though, uh, that we do plenty of work around teaming, and in practice management. So if you're thinking Oxley, think marketing, think teaming, think practice management. And if any of those needs you have within your firm, think Oxley coaching. Now, let's jump right into today and going through some of these trends, Kevin. Uh, the first one is a bit of reaffirmation that you're doing a lot of good out there. Mm-hmm. The first trend is that the affluent are generally happy with their advisors. How's that for a bit of good news? <laughs> yeah, it is good. And you take a look at the some of the advisor ratings from excellent all the way to poor, I mean, the majority of, of the affluent are rating their advisor excellent and very good. Um, so that's good. I mean, we're, we're, you're doing some of the right things, right? Again, that should be confirmation. So in terms of ratings, I think they're pretty good. I mean, I think there is a difference out there in saying, uh, you know, if you ask somebody you know, how do you like your advisor? And they say, yeah, they're good, you know, versus being like, they're outstanding. Amazing. Excellent. You, you got to work with them. If you're not working with them, you should be. There's right. a difference in those levels. There is. And you know that impacts the level of referrals that a person's willing to receive. There's a big difference between being very good and being excellent at what you do. Look at this stat. 80% of affluent clients consider their financial advisor to be a friend. That's pretty big. 
Yeah, right? it's an it's a, a shift we've seen across the industry that more and more people are placing the focus on the client and getting to know them as a human being. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been that way. I mean, I know from years of our research, it's never been that high. And if you were to look back 30, 40 years ago, you certainly would say it was a more transactional business focused relationship. Nowadays, we're much friendlier and it's a better relationship for both sides. The affluent are giving more referrals because of that. They trust you. They like you as a person. They want to help you out. And they also benefit from knowing you well as a person. They've got more trust that you're acting in their best interest. That's, that's, a, that's a really good point, too. And, you know, when we're working with advisors and we're talking about developing deeper, more personal connections with clients, we say, hey, look, you know, it's, if you become an expert on your client, that does not mean that you have a friendship with them, that you have a deeper connection with them. They have to know you, too, right? It is a two-way street. Um, the final data point on here um, for this first section is about client event preferences. And 41% of the affluent saying that they would prefer a fun event, 36% educational, 21% either, and 2%, hey, I don't want to go. N- n- neither. Like, I don't want to go to any events. So as you're, you're thinking about planning events for 2024, right, or even, even the, the year end here, you're thinking, you know, I, we should probably make sure we have a good mix of fun and educational events. The big push to me when I look at this is that most everybody said they'd come to some kind of an event. They want to come to an event. And we spent a lot of time traveling lately. We've been on the road every week for a while now. And as I go, one of the questions I love to ask an audience is, how many of you have events planned right now? What events do you have planned? And the amount of people with hands raised right now is alarming to me because from a marketing perspective, client events are a very solid way to build loyalty with clients, but to find new prospects as well. And it drives me crazy that we've been slow as an industry to get back to doing those. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. And when we're talking about doing client events, we're not talking about big scale client events. We're talking about really small, uh, 10 people or fewer generally fun or educational events that are a win-win for everybody. And we want people doing more of them. When you look at the data, 2% said they'd attend neither of these. Let's get after it. Yeah, only 2%, right? So yeah, there's always going to be that subset of clients who's like, no, you know, I don't want to go to any sort of event. Um, But to me, the the fact that it like the 36% educational, to me, I feel like you you need a good little mix there, right? You have certain clients who just, yes, I'll come to a fun event. You have other ones who who really just want to come to an event that's educational in nature. So we we need kind of the, the, the good balance. So that, that was the first section of this, and by, a section of this research report, by the way. And they're all structured in different proclamations, right? So the first one being the affluent are generally happy with their advisor. We're going to move on to the second one. And that proclamation is there are specific reasons why affluent investors refer. I've known you for a long time, Kevin. I've never heard you use that word. What, proclamation? It's a good one, man. It's a good one, right? Well, you know, it's, it, that's how it's written. And you wrote it, man. I can hear. Did, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you did I can hear this. you. I can hear you saying that around your house, like, kids. I'm going to make a proclamation. Daddy has a proclamation here, <laughs> and they're like, "What?" Um, it does sound, you know. Uh, it, what's the difference between a proclamation and a declaration? Oh boy, kids. I, I don't know either. I have no idea. I have to ask ChatGPT on that one. Yeah. Um, number two, in terms of why there are specific reasons people refer, I think is really interesting, and we have talked about this for a long time, but kind of out of thin air. Like we've always just uh, surmised why this was the case. Mm-hmm. We've always been like, well, you know, people refer because of this. And this actually gave us some data on why they refer, which is really important if you want to influence them to give you more referrals. Yeah. So the number one answer was that they like being a resource to their friends and family. So if I'm a, an affluent person and you're my friend and you're in need of an advisor for one reason or another, I like helping you out. I like making that recommendation. No different than if I'm 
if, if you needed a good plumber and I happen to know a good plumber and I made that connection, it makes me feel good to help you out. You know, I, I see that one, you know, how I interpret that first one is it's kind of a little bit of a, of a selfish thing. Like I want to be the resource. Like when we think about giving referrals, we, a lot of times we think about, um, you know, like, gosh, I want to help other people out. I want to be seen as a resource is like, you know what? I want to be the person who has the connection. I want to be the person who makes that happen. Right. And so that's, that's important. So how are you positioning yourself as a resource to your clients so that they want to share more about you? The big one for me is number two, and this was a close second, mm-hmm. and it was that they enjoy helping their financial advisor. And this is the one that we can more directly influence. If you think about why that is. So if I'm, if I'm the client and you're the advisor, Kevin, if I enjoy helping my advisor, I enjoy helping you because I like you as a human being and I like seeing you succeed. I like being some small part of that if I can be. And sure. It makes me feel good to make you happy. Right. And that, that goes back to almost the first point about like 80% consider their advisor a friend. Yeah. The more I like you as a human, the more I, I'm invested in your success, the Agreed. more I want to refer you. Agreed. And we can drive that behavior. We've talked about that for a long time in terms of just the blocking and tackling of taking people to lunch, dinner, taking interest in their family, going beyond superficial small talk. Yeah. Getting deeper with clients and having that relationship. Number three, my financial advisor rewards me for referrals. That's an interesting one. I mean, we, we do encourage advisors to, you know, reinforce that behavior. Like if a client refers, it could be a small thank you note. It could be a little small gift. If, if a, you know, a client gives you a referral, we want to encourage that to happen. One of my favorite, favorite um, tactics is to call the client six months later after they sent that referral. You've heard me talk about this plenty of times, right? Um, but it's to call them up six months later and say, hey, by the way, I was just meeting with XYZ family and I thought of you because I know you referred them. Just wanted to thank you again for that. I mean, you know, that that in itself is a reward. It makes them feel good. Yeah, it, we're giving positive reinforcement. Number three aligns with number two. If they enjoy helping their financial advisor and you make them feel really, really good about it, you win. I mean, it's no different than positive reinforcement with other people in your life. Mm. If your spouse or your kids does something that you value, letting them know that, overemphasizing how important that is and how much you appreciate that is a good strategy. Yeah, you get all A's on that report card, man. We're going to Coldstone. Yeah, that's right? right. Oh, your kids are still younger. You get Coldstone. I'm like, they're, they're like, I want some sneakers, Dad. Oh, okay, really? Yeah, uh, well, it gets more expensive oh, to no, reward no. good behavior. Mine's a, what is it? The gotta have it? No. What is the, the biggest size? That's what they want. That's, oh, that's yeah. it. Oof. Anyway. Um, and the number fourth, uh, the, sorry, the number fourth, the fourth um, reason here is my financial advisor asks me for referrals. So this is a ranking order. We're not big fans of asking for referrals. If you followed Oxley for any period of time, you should know that. We feel like it sometimes can come across like you're groveling for business. But some people, you know, hey, they ask. Well, there's their difference. And I hear this everywhere I go. I swear to you, Kevin, everywhere. And you see this too. Everywhere I go. Somebody in the audience is like, yeah, I get it, Stephen. We just need to ask more often for referrals. And I'm like, dude, you're not listening. Yeah. Like if if you're positioning with a client, like if I'm the advisor and you're the client, every time I see you, I'm on good behavior. And I'm like, oh, Kevin, uh, think about us when you're in front of your friends. Like, don't, who do you have that maybe you could put us in front of? I'm seen as like the marketing financial advisor. True. Like I'm the marketing focused, I'm the guy, I'm the marketing focused financial advisor as opposed to me just treating you really well, showing a lot of interest in you, letting it be known that I'm open for business but you seeing me as a good person that you like and enjoy spending time with and that you like to help out. That's the positioning I want. Right. Not that I'm Mr. Marketer and like, who do you know? Help me out, bud. 
Right. Especially every single time that's going to get old real quick. Um, I want to point out one other stat on this page and that's that clients who are friends with their advisor are 21% more likely to give referrals. You kind of see that theme woven out the first, uh, woven through the first two proclamations here, but um, 21% more likely to give referrals. So if you wanted to um, go on a whole campaign to generate more referrals. And if you're in front of an audience of advisors, Stephen, and you say, hey, how are you bringing in business? What do they, what do they say? Referrals. Referrals. You want to increase that, right? Become friends with your clients, right? You'll, you'll have uh, an immediate pickup. Number three, uh, wealthy prospects look for well-connected teams. We're seeing a big trend in this industry towards teaming. I mentioned it earlier that we're not just client acquisition here at Oxley. We talk a ton about forming and running teams. And as we travel and we spend time in individual meetings with some of the biggest teams in the industry, uh, not to brag, but it, that is a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. As we go around, we spend time. Last week, I was in front of a team that does $17 million in production. In production. Yeah. So their challenge is not client acquisition. Right. Right. Their challenge is growing and scaling. You know, yeah. Building out a team that can service the amount of client acquisition that's happening there yeah. in a really thoughtful way, in the same way that the team leader would have done in the early days, we're now able to do at scale. There are big, big challenges that come with that. It's not just selfishly that you want to be on a team because they do bring in more assets per advisor. They do have more career satisfaction, which is all true, by the way. It is because it's better for the client, and the client appreciates you being on a team. And you can see some of that data here in, in our study. Yeah, so you take a look at preferences um, on, on team or an individual. So did do the affluent have a preference there? And then the over 2 million crowd investable had the preference. Like you can see it. They prefer more of a team of advisors. Well, you think about your own personal preference. Uh, would you rather have a, a person who's running solo who if they're at the beach, they're in the mountains, mm -hmm. they're out of, out of pocket for a little while, you can't get an answer to something important. God forbid something happened to them. There's not much of a succession plan there. Or would you rather have a really well-rounded team of highly credentialed, well-respected professionals any one of which could help you out, and all of which bring different specialties to the table. It's right. much more powerful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> most important factors for a $2 million-plus investor in selecting an advisor? What do you think the most important factor is? It's, number one, was qualifications and certifications. Number two was a financial planning focus. And number three was investment track record. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and you also, uh, you factor in that, when they are on the hunt for financial advisors, they got a lot of options. They can do a lot of research online and they can find out what your credentials are. They can see uh, what your focus is by reading through some of your process on your website. All that stuff is more transparent than it once was when they had to learn that information from you and your competitors one-to-one -one in, in an in-person meeting. Right. So those are the top, top three factors. Um, out of that, only 4% of those with 2 million or more thought cost was the most important factor. It's not. Right, no, I, mean, that, I mean, cost is not their biggest concern. Their biggest concern is a variety of other things because they have more complicated, more complex situations. Uh, yeah, I always loved when Matt Oxley would say, you know, people aren't looking for the cheapest cardiologist. Oh, so true. You know, nor are they looking for the cheapest financial advisor. This is one of the weirdest industries to me. I was thinking about this on an airplane the other day. In no other industry does the worst provider, and I'm exaggerating here, but the worst provider and the best provider cost roughly the same thing. Mm. You know, in, in our fee-based model nowadays, you could get somebody who's no good at their job and it costs you roughly the same thing as somebody who is really, really good at their job. True. It's a weird deal. You don't that see that weird. in hardly any other industry. That is weird. Anyway. Let's move on. Let's move on to number four here. 
And uh, Stephen, you want to read our fourth proclamation? I don't know how well I can proclaim this, and I'd love it if you'd stop <laughs> using that word. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Now, now that you, you brought it up, and you were like, "Oh, I've never heard you." This use is going to be a social post next week. The five procl- proclamations. Uh, more affluent consumers are going online to begin their advisor search. Yep. This has been a trend that's slow burning, uh, but when you look at the data now, it's really in your face how many more people. Uh, last year, thirteen percent began their search online. This year, it's twenty four percent. That's a big uptick. Now, again, and I always give this disclaimer, this does not mean that everybody is going online, finding an advisor, working through your lead funnel and arriving on your, uh, in your office as a new client. Yes. It's not that Good linear. Um, but also, uh, it does influence what they find. The beginning part of their search, even if they ultimately ask around about you and about others, the beginning part of their search starts on their smartphone or starts on their desktop and running a search for financial advisor near my, uh, nearby. It's easy to do. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And, and that speaks to the importance, I mean, of a really good website, really good social channels. I mean, as they're doing this research, they're going to create a perception in their mind of you. And what's that perception, right? So let's go, let's go right to the next point on here, which is impressions of a poor advisor website. Now, what is considered poor is up for interpretation, but I, I want you to, to take these in, right? So if, if the affluent go to your website, and they have a poor perception of it. Again, what is poor? Again. Now, I, I challenge that one, Kevin, because what are you challenging? there are some things, the, the whole idea that perceptions can differ, because that's a cop-out for a lot of advisors with bad websites who they themselves don't perceive oh, it to be, be a bad website. A good it's point. like, look, dude, if you went and got a bad haircut, you might think it's a good haircut, <laughs> but if everybody else in your orbit is like, whoa, what happened? Right. Well, It's well, a bad haircut. So what you're saying is the interpretation of what is a quote unquote poor website. It's not just your perception. Now, you, you need <laughs> yes. to get you need to get other people's opinions on it. <clears throat> and if your your neighbor or who's a good or a good friend or your wife is like, oh, you know what? This is a bad website. You got to take that in. That's a bad haircut. Oh, geez. I don't want to I don't want to believe it. You got to believe it. Yeah, you do. And uh, the penalties for this are, are pretty severe. When they have an impression of a poor advisor website, number one, they say they feel like the advisor is seen as outdated. Oof. It's a bad perception, especially if, I mean, paint this picture. If you were an older advisor and you've got an outdated feeling website, the it, people make the inference that other parts of your business are outdated. Yes. And yes. that's not a good thing. I'm thinking the opposite. Like if I am, you almost play to what people perceive as your weakness. If I'm an older advisor, I want like the most stellar digital presence you can possibly have. As Why not? In contrast, if I'm a younger advisor... I want to be the most put together with the best people skills humanly possible. I want to be great on the phone. I want to host all kinds of in-person meetings. I want to play against the stereotype. But you would still want a good website. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want to play against what people think is my weakness. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. I like it. Um, number two, the advisor would lack an attention to detail. Oh, I don't like that one either. Mm. I mean, it just, and, and then the last one is, and this one to me is the kicker. Like if I were, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, you know what? I haven't updated my website in a long time. Their perception of a poor advisor website, the third one was the advisor lacks resources. No you don't have one, the money to keep it current. No one wants to be perceived that way. And in reality, this is so fixable. Great point. Think about, I mean, so much of this is really, really hard. When you're going out and trying to find clients, people skills are hard. Yeah. Some people are born with more of them than others. Uh, some people work harder at their sales skills. Sales skills are hard. Building the right connections are hard. Having a good website and digital presence is outsourceable. It's outsourceable and it's worth it because a lot of times this is going to be your first impression. So think, think about this too. The cost difference. I mentioned this on a webinar yesterday. 
it used to cost, and we got a quote for this on our own website before we started building websites. Back in the day, we had somebody come in our office and uh, they were like, yeah, it's going to be 50, 60 grand to get this website built. And back in the day, we were like, what? I know. We were like, oh, no way. Ridiculous. Yeah. Matt Oxley wasn't signing that check. No. And uh, we looked into, I mean, we ended up building our, you know, we got yeah. into building our own websites. But nowadays, they're not that expensive. They're not nearly as expensive as they once were. Quick plug if you haven't checked out Oxley websites, we do a great job and it's, uh, under 10,000 for a website and they're, uh, they're, they're really good. But let, let, let me, let me challenge that one, Stephen. There's going to be some advisors listening to this right now thinking $10,000 for a website. That's a lot of money. Well, I, I think about this and think of the number of people that see this. Yeah. So your clients, obviously they've seen your site. You've already got them. That's okay. Your prospects are a hundred percent, call it high nineties, looking up your site at some point, mm -hmm. your centers of influence have all seen your website. Everybody in your community, for the most part, is seeing that website. So I think about, I, I was with a financial advisor the other day. I know him uh, well personally. I don't know much about what he does professionally. What did I do? I look up his website. Yeah. I feel like I've got a better understanding of what he does professionally now because of it. But it also shapes some perceptions about, in this case, it was positive. It was a great website. But if it had been negative, I would have been like, oh, wow. Wouldn't consider him because of how his team is portrayed, the process looks a little bit kind of boilerplate, whatever sure. it is, it shapes our perceptions. 10 grand in this space, I mean, it's a lot smarter than having the most pristine office space. It's a lot smarter than driving the biggest car, or the fanciest car you can possibly drive. Oh, I love that, that, that's good, actually. And I, I think that there's a big difference between an, a website that I can tell is on the lower end of cost and one that is kind of in what we're talking about, our range, where they have some custom videography and photography, it blows them away. Like, it's not even close. And well, they, I, think, I think it's worth it. I agree. It's like the difference in saying, uh, I have a website versus a really elite-level website. It's yes. like saying, I have a suit. Yeah. And it's like your cousin who shows up at the wedding, and you're like, he has not worn a suit in his whole life, has he? You know, like, <laughs> he looks like the guy from the the, the Talking Heads in that famous video with yeah, the like big, the big, big shoulders. Yeah, like the big shoulder, like the super dark blue with like the oh, dark yeah. burgundy tie, and you're like, he doesn't wear many suits. There's a big difference in quality of website. If you don't know the difference with them, talk to people who do. Yeah. I mean, no difference than you would go to a good tailor or a high-quality men's store if you needed help with, with clothing. Um Go to somebody who knows websites. And, and it's worth it. It'll last you a lot longer. You'll you'll feel more confident. You'll actually want to do more marketing. Um, let's point out this. I want to point out this last stat on this page, Stephen. I want to, get, want to get your perception of it. And that's that 95% of affluent investors prefer that their advisor is local. Is that they're local. You know, and, you know, I guess it's a, maybe it's just, it's just a preference thing. I mean, you want to be able to, to reach out to them pretty quickly to, to get face to face if you need to. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I think everybody can point to plenty of examples to the contrary. Everybody listening to this has clients who are all over the place. Sure. But many of them are people who started with you in your home location and moved or you moved. And, and now they have that relationship. Yeah. yeah. But generally uh, speaking, if you had choice A or choice B, one was local and the other was not, you would choose the local because why not? If you wanted the option of getting in person, it's a lot more convenient. Yeah, and it, how I interpret this too is from a marketing standpoint, if you're running ads, keep it local. Like, I don't know, unless you have a really specific niche that's so specific and, you know, you can go nationwide. But in general, when you're putting marketing dollars behind something, I mean, they prefer to have someone who's local. All right. Number five. What is this one called? The fifth proclamation, I believe. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. Uh, your thought leadership efforts shape perceptions. This is my favorite one. This is my favorite hands down uh, proclamation. 
I thought leadership efforts, by that we mean you yourself getting your ideas out there in terms of articles, podcasts, videos, but not mailing it in by reposting your firm's content, right. reposting other people's content. That's not what we're talking about here. To be a thought leader, you have to share your thoughts, not other people's. And what impact that has on the client, we asked them. And the answers in rank order were, number one, as a client, it encourages them to actively seek your opinions more. If they see you as having deeper or wider expertise in a variety of areas that might be helpful to them, they're going to go to you more often, which is a good thing. Yeah. The second one here, it increases my confidence in their abilities. So you creating more content, whether it's podcast, video, article, whatever it might be, increases their confidence in you. I was talking with a team a couple of weeks ago about this, and their, their target market were business owners of a certain size business who were pre-liquidity uh, you know, event. And they were wanting to know from me, what should we even put on video? I'm like, your smartest ideas for that 55-year-old business owner who has got this situation, yeah. that's what you put on video. Let them see through this, that this, they're, they're pretty sharp. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Give it away. Give it away. Some, give away some of your best stuff, because if you don't, someone else is going to, and that person's going to build the influence. Um, the next one here, it inspires me to refer them. It, it's so interesting when we talk about creating content and thought leadership, so many advisors immediately want to want to have attribution of net new, someone who's never heard of me. They start watching my video, they start listening to my podcast and they become a client. Yes. Ideally that happens over time. What about the immediate impact of clients refer you more now? Gosh, I mean, you know what? I'm, I'm, I, the clients are consuming that podcast. They're consuming, um, you know, the video content and they're inspired to refer you to others. I think there's some factors in that. Number one being that you're a more exciting referral candidate. If you have a lot going on and you seem like an interesting, like to your point earlier, Kevin, about selfishly, sometimes we refer because we like being that connector to a service provider who's really good. Yes. Oh, yeah. I got that guy from Steven. He's really good at XYZ trade, whatever it is. Um, same in, in this situation, you're, whether you're a landscaper, a plumber, a financial advisor, a cardiologist, if you can see visibly this person's on the cutting edge of their craft, they're a more refer, uh, exciting referral proposition. Yep. And the other piece of it is, and we've seen more of this lately, when they have content that is shareable, how easy is that for the client to share around to other people, especially if prompted by the financial advisor? Hey, would you share this piece of content with other business owners you know who are similar to you? So easy, right? Yeah. It's so easy. And, and and you can give more context, right? I don't just say, hey, go to, you know, take a look at this person. They're great. Take a look at this person. By the way, check out this video. I'm in the market right now for a kitchen remodel. And, you know, we're you're asking around for recommendations. And what we get a lot of times are people who are sending us links to Instagram accounts that it's like, hey, take a look at what they've been doing with here. And like, look at this style and look at this whole renovation from beginning to end. And some of those those content creators, I mean, I say, or the, these kitchen remodel contractors who are creating content, I can almost guarantee you they're getting more referrals. Yeah. And think about back in the day before all of this was was digital, you would have the construction person who would have... Uh, like a hard copy binder and pictures they would be trying to show yeah. you of things and how much more fluid that is now. I take, out, take a look at their Insta account. Uh, otherwise, when you're thinking about the, uh, the nature of videos, people ask us sometimes what to put on video. Certain things are going to be more informational. The most requested topics are financial planning, estate planning, generational wealth topics. So not weekly mar market commentary, not anything hyper-specific to the investments that you recommend. They get outdated so quickly. The other piece of it is that People, 86% uh, of those under 45 
78% of those between 45 and 64, and 62% even of those 65 plus, said they'd find a video of their advisor's background and process to be helpful. So as a client, sure. As a prospect, even more so. Yeah. This that is, if you can shed some light on what you do internally through a video, all the better. All, all the better. And, and knowing that that a lot of times is that first impression. They go to their website, they, they take a look at what you have, and having some nice quality video um, of process, background. These are ones where, you know, from a content creation standpoint, we think it's worth it to get a professional out there, right? Like if you're, if you're something evergreen that's going to live on your website and it's walking through your process or a little bit about us or our story, man, you want to knock someone's socks off with that stuff. Yeah, research like this helps you invest in the future. I met with a team recently and I was surprised to hear they'd grown a lot over the years, but their current strategy was to have a team of cold callers. Wow. And when you think about data like this, and you think about skating to where the puck is going, to use another Matt Oxleyism, mm-hmm. it ain't going back to cold calling. No. It's embracing digital because that's what the consumer of the future is embracing. It's building a bigger team with more experts on staff because that's what the consumer wants. It's deepening personal relationships with clients so that they refer more, that they're happier, right? That there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's combining that relationship marketing and, you know, in digital marketing. Yeah, it, it's thinking about research like this and other people who do research, studying that up. You don't have to be an expert in it, but you can look at trends and say, this is the direction of, of where I want my business to go. Now, if you need help with that, our coaching has been helping people for a long, long time. All the issues that teams face between team members not getting along because one's smarter than the other or one works harder than the other. <laughs> why, why, why are you or, pointing towards me? If you're okay. listening just audio-wise, Stephen's, like, <laughs> Stephen's pointing back and forth I'm between kidding. when he says one works harder um, than the other. Yeah. I might have gotten my points uh, backwards. Um, <laughs> we, we help in all those areas. Uh, client acquisition, all the things we're talking about today, you will do more and better marketing if you've got one of our team members pushing you to do it. So if you haven't looked at Oxley Coaching in a while, take a look at our website. Uh, reach out to Brittany here on staff who would welcome a call with you, and uh, we'd appreciate it. Otherwise, this was the Stephen and Kevin Show. Yeah, this was a, this was a fun episode. Grab a copy of this, oxley.com slash research, um, so you can follow along with the podcast. And finally, love to give just one more one more plug to Allianz. Go to oxley.com slash AZL. Take a look at that upcoming webinar. Register for it. You won't be disappointed. Allianz Investment Management LLC, Allianz IM, is a registered investment advisor and a wholly owned subsidiary of Allianz Life Insurance Company of North America. Investment involves risk, including possible loss of principal. There's no guarantee the funds will achieve their investment objectives and may not be suitable for all investors. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. For perspectives with this and other information about the fund, please call 877-429-3837 or visit www.alliansimetfs.com and review the prospectus. Investors should read the prospectus carefully before investing. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Foresight Fund Services, LLC is not affiliated with Allianz Investment Management, LLC, or Allianz Life Insurance Company of North America.